Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. Crazy year, right? Crazy year, full of shocks, full of highs, a little bit of highs, not a lot, a, few, a, a lot of lows. Um, I thought it'd be good to do a little year-end recap. Does that sound good? Yeah? Okay, so uh, let's go back to the beginning. January, we, uh, you know what's coming. Shocker, big shock, full of shock. We had Donald Trump, the, the host of Apprentice, become the president of the United States. We're not going to get too political here. But um, that also triggered into the creation of fake news, um, in which you remember this at the inauguration. You had uh, the, the Trump's campaign's picture on the far right and the actual picture of on the far left, which uh, created just this, um, you know, this year of like constant debate over fake news and this creation of propaganda. Um, so that began a big shock of the year. Um, not really exciting for a lot of Chicagoans or most millennials. Um, were pretty, not just, not just a shock, but I would say pretty devastated about this. Um, and then uh, keep going into the year, um, and then you had, uh, the, the, this was somewhat of a, of a despairing picture, but yet what a high in Mosul, that the fact that um, ISIS, who had uh, reign and regime territory control over Mosul, was um, removed. Um, but yet that created a lot of refugee crisis, um, but uh, what a despairing picture of this dad just uh, carrying out his daughter. Rough year all around the world. Um, and then uh, not only that, but you had, uh, this is probably the best thing that happened all year, um, is the total eclipse. Amazing. Millions of people stargazing into the sky together, looking into the light. And I think it's symbolic, if you will. I think it's almost symbolic that like in a year of lows that we're all just wanting um, to see the light pierce through the darkness. Uh, that we're all wanting to see that. That's what we're all longing for deep down, and I think it was, a, it was amazing. I think any other year that this total eclipse would happen, people are like, oh, who cares? But this year, it was amazing because we needed this. We needed this as a humanity to have something supernatural going on that could tell us that there's something more despite the darkness. Um, so that was probably our biggest high of the year um, was the total eclipse. Um, and then we had uh, a lot of mass shootings this year. Um, this was uh, two Coptic church, Christian churches in, in Egypt that were over, over 60 people murdered. I mean, I can't even, I can't even go through all the... All the you, have, you have Las Vegas, you have shootings at nightclubs, you've got just horrible stories. Um, you have, you have uh, horrible stories that we just can't even get into. Um, but this was a year totally filled with mass shootings. And so not only that, but we had wildfires range, rage all throughout Portugal and California. We had Hurricane Harvey, uh, Hurricane Irma, Hurricane Maria um, that hit. Um, so we had earthquakes that rocked Mexico, Iran, Iraq. We had flooding and an avalanche covered parts of Italy. Mudslides leveled homes in Sierra Leone. Delhi monsoon pummeled India, Nepal, Pakistan, and Bangladesh. And so these are just some of the lows of the year. And, and, and it just, you're, it seems like a year that you just constantly got alerts on your phone of something else happening across the world that was just devastating. You could almost, can't even keep up anymore. It's like a mass shooting in the world overseas of 300 people get, goes through one ear and out the other um, because it's just become commonplace. Uh, and so not only that, um, not only attacks and churches and concerts and ice cream callers, but you also had um, just a, a horrible uh, incidents of constantly our favorite actors, our favorite radio station shows, our favorite um, uh, uh, musicians, whoever it is, accused of just misconduct um, uh, that, that, that triggered just this, this dizzying number of sexual harassment, harassment or assaults 
allegations emerged against these high-profile men. Um, if you go to the last slide, um, going out of order a little bit here. Um, that triggered just this chain reaction in which one celebrity said, hey, if you've ever been sexually harassed or assaulted, um, respond with hashtag me too. Um, which you had just a, a, over 12 million women respond and say me too. This is growing. It's just super, super um, uh, uh, sad. And, 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 but, but yet the, light, the darkness is coming out into the light. Um, going back to the other slide, you had um, the horrible white nationalists hold the torch uh, lights march of University of Virginia, um, and 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 then you, and you had uh, the the phenomenon of the NFL, the pro, all the protests this year, um, in which Colin Kaepernick started after the murder of Alton Sterling, but yet it triggered just a chain reaction of of, of NFL players um, making their statement uh, of of that, that that Black Lives Matter. Um, so a lot of shocks, a lot of lows, and I would say this: that in 2017, one thing that's changed is that our political climate has changed. Um, I, w- I would say that we could all agree on that, 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 that the way we think about politics has changed, that fear uh, now trumps vision, pun intended, um, that, that, that tearing people down trumps building people up, that personalities trump policies. And so some would say, how has this changed? Some would say, well, it's social media's effect on our world. Some would say maybe it's just the celebrity climate, like getting its revenge or just that we've created this world. I would say those are true, but I would say this. That with all these things, whenever there's instability and anxiety in a country, what are people looking for? They're looking for a leader, right? We're looking for a leader and, and, and someone who's going to come, not just a leader, but a charismatic leader um, that's going to come and, and help put stability into this world. And even though it's misguided looking for leaders, I would say that, that we are looking for rescuers and saviors nonetheless. That what this world is looking for and wanting is, make no mistake, we are looking for rescuers and saviors. And in this sense, the context of the first Christmas 2,000 years ago, and in that sense, the context of now, have some overlap. If you want to just journey back with me in the time Jesus was born, um, that was what the Jewish people were looking for, was a rescuer and a savior, a liberator from the Roman regime. Um, that was oppressive in uh, that uh, territory. They were looking for a political leader who would lead a revolution against Roman rule. Now hold that thought, um, that Jewish people were kind of looking for this leader. I wanna, I'm going to um, be a little bit all over the place on this sermon, and I'm going to hope that like, somehow I can bring the pieces back together. So hold that thought. We'll come back to it. I want to talk to you about um, this, this form of, of Japanese pottery for just a moment called kintsugi Pottery. Anybody ever heard of Kintsugi pottery? Yes, we have one. May I have another? Yes, two, three. Okay, so we have, we have a few in the house. It's not just pottery, it's a philosophy. Um, what I love about this is just beautiful uh, philosophy that um, whenever a dish is broken, it's not just broken to be discarded, that there's uh, a sense of beauty in the brokenness. So they have this golden glue that they break out and they piece back the broken pottery uh, to put it, all the broken pieces back together again. So when you break a, vi- a vase or a clay pot, um, they have this golden glue, it puts everything back together. Instead of discarding the piece, they celebrate the cracks. They celebrate the brokenness. And there's a story behind these pieces. There's a story of restoration and redemption. Hold that thought. We're going to come back to it. Now go to Matthew 1. Now this reading that I'm going to read is the genealogy of Jesus. This, uh, we're going to read this for the caroling service. Not many times will you hear the genealogy of Jesus preached at a Christmas service um, because it's quite boring, if I was honest with you. Um, it's just a bunch of names. But there's some hidden things in this 
list of names that we're going to discover that, um, uh, that even though it's a bit dry, I want you to know that this is some of the best subversive literature ever written. Um, that Matthew, the, the gospel writer of Matthew, um, is writing this and being intentionally subversive. And so you need to know two things to know it's subversive. Number one, you know that in the ancient world, genealogies were just a list of men's names. That, that primarily it was a patriarchal society. And so if you had a girl, that was like a bonus, but you're not going to carry your, your genealogy unless you have a son. And so um, if you were, you were longing for a son to carry your family name, and then Jewish genealogy would be only a list of men's names. So second thing you need to know is that all throughout history, again, they're looking for a liberator, a rescuer, a savior, and there's two qualifications for this Messiah to come from, for the Jewish people. One, he had to be of the lineage of Abraham. He had to come from Abraham because he's the big daddy of it all, right? He's the, he's the one who started the whole movement of this nationality and ethnicity. Um, two, it had to be in the lineage of King David. He was their greatest king. So those are the two prequalifications of the political Messiah that they were longing for. Um, and so here's Matthew writing out this story. Um, and so when you re- let's, let's just read it. Um, uh, verse 1, the book of the genealogy or the genesis of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ, is, Christ is not Jesus' last name, by the way. Um, Jesus is the word Yeshua in Hebrew. It means uh, one who saves. Christ is a title. The best thing that we can say is just king. So we're really saying Jesus the king. Um, so Jesus the king, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Whoa, there he is right there. Tick. We got one thing marked off our list, right? He's, he's the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and the Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brother, and Judah the father of Perez, and, and, and Zerah by Tamar. <gasps> Tamar! There's a woman here mentioned right here in, the, in this, this passage. Um, so we got to deal with that. Um, so you have this woman mentioned here, um, story of Tamar. Now let me just explain he throws in this woman named Tamar. Let me explain to you the story of Tamar. Um, Tamar's husband died tragically. And in, in, this is in the book of Genesis um, when, you, when you read it. And, and Genesis is just filled with like Mari Povich like episodes. Like essentially it's just like a bunch of drama, all right? A bunch of family drama going on. Um, and so uh, Tamar's husband dies tragically. Um, and and um, in that time, it was customary for the father-in-law to take care of, of the, the, anyone who, who became a widow in their family. So, um, so the father-in-law was, was required to find, have, provide one of his sons to remarry the daughter-in-law that is now a widow. So it would have been Judah's responsibility to do this. So Tamar, um, no, but they didn't do it. Uh, the, that, in that time, those, the, Judah did not provide um, Tamar with uh, with a replaced husband. And so Tamar, in this systemic brokenness, um, decides to take matters into her own hands, and she decides to dress up like a prostitute. Um, so she's in the middle of a shrine temple, dressed up as a prostitute, um, and then um, it finds out later the news goes around the, around the whole city that Tamar's pregnant with child. Now, um, at that point, Judah comes and actually goes to the shrine to the temple prostitute and sleeps with a temple prostitute. And so Judah finds out later that Tamar is pregnant. And, he, and then at that time, the punishment was death. Uh, the punishment was excommunication. So he, he, t- he 
brings Tamar to Judah in this trial and says, you know what you've done? She's like, yes, I know it's horrible. You know that the consequences are death. She goes, yes, I know that. And he goes, so we're going to, she goes, but yeah, I got to tell you something. This baby that I'm pregnant with is your child. Well, what? And so here it is. It's like a horrible case of, you know, just as like hands made tell plus this is us plus Christmas special, like all in one. <laughs> all right. Um, so this is like just drama going on. Um, and so you got this moment where she, this is just, just broken family. So all of a sudden in Jesus's lineage, you have prostitution and incest. All right. So you got a lot of brokenness going on in Jesus's lineage already. Remember, this was meant to be a lineage at that time, was meant to showcase all the heroes that you were connected to, to showcase that you have validity. Look at all these amazing heroes that you were point, point of. But Matthew, um, remember who Matthew was. Matthew was a tax collector who, who was raising, op- oppressing Jewish people. It would be like um, your, your, your friend um, taxing you to get money to kill your family. That's exactly who Matthew was before he became a follower of Jesus. And so here he is as this outsider, moral outsider, culture outsider, who's following Jesus, who's writing this genealogy. Now, that's, that's Tamar. Now, we keep reading. Um, keep reading on, and it says, and, uh, By Tamar and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amimadab, Amminadab, the father of Nashon, it keeps going, and Salomon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. <gasps> You're not shocked. Of course you're not shocked because you know the story. But they would have been shocked. Again, they would have had another moment of shock. Rahab is in the story. Now, Rahab was known as a prostitute in that time. Um, She was not just any woman. She was known by the Jewish people. She wasn't a Jew. Um, She was from Canaan, and she was a prostitute in that town. She had a bad reputation. The men would have been intimately familiar with Rahab. And, and so there, now, now you have not only this, you, she ends up becoming a spy. She helps find out that they can take over a territory, and she becomes um, mentioned in the Old Testament for her faith. But at the same time, now you have a prostitute in the lineage of Jesus. So we keep reading. And then, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, uh, the father of David the king. Now, it keeps going on. It says, and David was the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah. <gasps> I'm going to keep stop doing that. It's like, you guys are just like, oh, I don't get it. Um, but Uriah's wife, now we have, he can't even say, this is Bathsheba. Bathsheba is not even, he can't even say her name. It's not mentioned, um, but it's Uriah's wife. Now, the story of David and Bathsheba is, uh, there was a moment where uh, David is king. He sends out all the men to battle, and David says, you know what, I'm going to hang back with the ladies on this one. Um, subjecting his role as king, and he sends Uriah in his place to fight. And um, David is sitting there, and he, he's there, and he, he sees a woman um, um, bathing on the roof, uh, so implied that she's naked. And he looks at his servant and says, hey, will you, will you go get that woman? I think she has an amazing personality. Um, that's <laughs> paraphrase. It doesn't really say that. Um, he's like, I just want to talk to her about philosophy and poetry, and so I want you to go get that woman for me. He goes, the servant goes and gets this woman and brings the woman to David. Bathsheba to David, um, and uh, and David obviously sleeps with her, and then um, later on um, she sends a message back to David and says, "I'm pregnant." So now David tries to cover the whole thing up, bring you back to 2017, bring it back again. Not going to let you stay there that long. Back here again, you see things going on. There's same thing happening today. Um, so he tries to cover it up, and then he says, "You know what? I'm going to do. We got ha- Uriah has to die on the battlefield." He tells his troops, he says, I don't care how he dies, whether it's somebody else or whether we accidentally kill him, but he's got to die. 
And so he ends up having Uriah killed and then so, so that he can then um, take care of this widow. And then he tries to cover it up, but it becomes all exposed, completely exposed. So now you have not only you have, you have murder and adultery um, now in the lineage of Jesus. And so you have all this mess, all this, this, this thing. And what we see is that Jesus closely identifies, closely identifies with the broken. That's what I think what Matthew's trying to show is that he closely identifies with those whose life is a mess. And he's highlighting women on purpose, not to highlight the dark. There, I mean, there's some of these women, like, like Ruth is mentioned in here. We didn't get to go through her. But Ruth ends up, we, she, she's, um, uh, she, she ends up marrying Boaz, and so there's some incest in there and all that stuff. Again, some interbreeding. That's what it was, interbreeding, um, in which you're not meant to marry another nationality. Um, but he's intentionally naming these women who are on the outside to show that Jesus is coming for those on the margins. That's what he's doing. He's coming for the Gentiles. He's not just coming for the Jews. He's coming for those on the margins, and he identifies those who have had a mess of a life, whether they had made a mess of their life or whether they were dealt a bad hand, and they were dealt a mess of a life. And so I don't know if you can relate to those two, that whether you feel like in this season you've made a mess of your life, or for some of you, I would say even back to our earlier illustration of the whole Me Too phenomenon, that there's probably women in our, I know there's women in our church who have Me Too stories in which it wasn't that you made a mess of your life, it's that fact that someone made a mess of your life. And Jesus is saying, I'm coming, that, that by grace, by faith, that these people are in my lineage the same way you are by grace. And I'm coming to make all things new. I'm coming to restore you. I'm coming to make your life whole again, to bring the broken pieces back together. That's what I'm doing. That's what Jesus is doing when he's coming. And so we keep reading verse 15. It says, he says now, in verse 15, we, we're going to skip a few because there's just some boring names. And, um, and it says in verse 15, it says, And Elud, the, the father of Eleazar, the, the, Eleazar, the father of Mathon, Mathon, the father of Jacob. If you're ever reading the Bible, by the way, in a group, and you don't know what it is, just read it with confidence. Just don't even, if you don't know what it is, just read it and act like you know what it's saying. That's what I'm doing right now. All right, so, um, And Matthew, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. <gasps> One last time. And whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Now, another woman. Now, I can imagine at this point, Matthew's the writer. He would have had probably a young scribe. Now, can, you can imagine this young Jewish scribe going, Matthew, what are you doing? You're bringing all the skeletons out of the closet. Why are you doing this? Don't do it. I can imagine the scribe just being like, I'm not going to write it anymore. Why are you bringing all these skeletons in the closet? And I can see Matthew just being like, write it down. He goes, another woman? Are you serious? What did she do? Is she a prostitute? Is she incest? Why? He's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand Mary. Mary's amazing. Mary was accused of having this baby out of wedlock, but she was con- the baby was conceived of the Holy Spirit. And you can imagine the scribe writing and be like, no, you can't, this is, you can't write this down. No one's going to believe it. He goes, but it's the truth. He goes, people can't handle that kind of truth. You can't write this down. You've got to clean this up. And so you could see that there's just this, this mix of subversive, subversive nature of the gospel that he's coming for everybody, no matter your story. And so he, you can see him thinking just like, just please, can we just get this dirt off of this page? We can't make this holy scripture. And, and in Matthew, you can just see him just turning to his scribe. He goes, you don't understand. This baby is going to make everything new again. This baby's going to bring it all back. He's going to make all things new. He's going to get out the golden glue, and he's going to put the pieces back together. And he's going to be the one who's going to save and rescue our world. Now, 
Let's come back to that story in a minute. Um, I want to talk to you about worldviews for just a quick second. Um, because we need to understand worldview in order to understand how this Christmas narrative fits into our day. Um, worldviews are, 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 are shape the way we see the world. They, they help us answer four questions. Where are we? Who are we? What's wrong with the world? And what's the remedy? Now, um, the worldviews that we have, they all come in the form of stories. And they have a shape. Everybody has a worldview. Everybody is, is, is shaping this worldview. And so every worldview really has, next slide, a wonderful beginning, a um, glorious beginning, and then a picture of brokenness, and then an answer for a utopian vision. Every worldview has this. Um, and so uh, you, you see, no matter what your worldview is, whether it's a Christian one or whether it begins with evolution worldview, where it's like, you know what, there was a big bang, and now we have this, the fall is this, we have the survival of the fittest, and it's dog-eat-dog world out there, and so we're all trying to make the best of it. And so each worldview has this path to utopian vision in which all creation can flourish, where the clay is put back together and the beauty is restored. And this shape that, 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 that we use often in our world, to talk about that brokenness is not just brokenness, it's also the word darkness. We use the word darkness a lot to talk about that. That in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit hovered over the earth, and God spoke, and He spoke light into the darkness, right? You remember that? Um, so not only within Christians, you think about all of our society and culture, we talk about what the dark ages. And what were the dark ages? Oh, the dark ages. They didn't have medicine. Everybody died. Oh, the dark ages. They didn't have electricity. No one could see. Oh, the dark ages. There was these horrible time, right? The dark ages. And then what happened? The enlightenment happened. So we speak of that, that the enlightenment is this, now as a worldview that's going to come and be the rescuer. The enlightenment's going to save us. We can think our way to the utopian vision. But then we saw clearly that now we know that that didn't work. And so um, there came the Enlightenment. Then you had the great world wars. You had the Holocaust. You had dreadful suffering. And so the Enlightenment that was supposed to lead to life didn't work. We need a new remedy, a new pathway towards the light. And so if you think about it, every religious system, every religious system out there is trying to create a pathway to the light, towards healing, where the pieces are put back together again. Every political ideology is trying to make a pathway back to the light, the utopian vision, in which the pieces will be put back together again. And so every ideology is attempting to go there. So hold that thought again one more time. Um, we're going to come back to that. Um, I don't have any golden glue to put this talk back together, so just, just hopefully that it all starts to make sense a little bit, all right? So now back to Matthew. Matthew starts with this birth of Jesus. And again, the people of God are looking for a rescuer who's going to come and meet us in our brokenness, come and meet us in our pain, come and deliver us and be our rescuer. And in Isaiah 9 says this, the people walking in darkness, in other words, the Jews who are walking in oppression, have seen a great light. So they're suffering under this regime, and suddenly they see Jesus walking around in darkness, and now they see this baby come on the scene, and they're thinking, now there's light to the tunnel, the end of the tunnel. There's light at the end of the tunnel. There's going to be a rescuer who's going to come on the scene now. Their hope is now being restored, and the rest of Matthew's gospel is how Jesus brings light into the darkness, how Jesus brings light into your darkness. And so Jesus encounters brokenness and puts these pieces back together again. Jesus encounters sickness, and what does he do? He heals. Jesus encounters um, um, sin. What does he do? He forgives. Jesus encounters um, the oppressed people, and he comes and liberates them. He, he, he encounters people who have been socially excluded from 
the in-group, and what does he do? He comes and says, no, Gentiles, women, come in here. You're a part of the family. He experiences people who are moral outsiders, tax collectors, prostitutes. You're part of the family. He even experiences those who are part of the oppressive regime. What does he do? He says, you, Roman centurion, he's dying on the cross, and the Roman centurion says, surely this is the Son of God. I've seen crucifixions all my life, but this guy died differently. And so a revolution is on the rise. And so when Rome hears of a revolution, they have a solution. It's called crucifixion. It was such a horrible death that it took till 377 AD for them to go, this is horrible, this is, this is inhumane, we can't, kill, we can't execute people this way anymore. But 300 years earlier, they crucified Jesus. And three days later, Jesus broke out of the tomb. He rose again. He appeared to over 500 people. And he began to do what? He began to preach and teach to those that he discipled and says, now go do what I did. And the followers of Jesus, they said, oh my goodness, this is insanely good news. And what did they do? They found the sick, they healed them. They found the oppressed, they freed them. They found those who were on the margins, they included them. And he was, why? Because he was dead and now alive and on a mission to put the pieces back together again. And Christianity spread like wildfire across the Roman area and to the fact that the Roman Empire finally was overcome. And so why do these Christians have so much hope? Why do they have so much hope? <clears throat> they saw a dead man rise from the dead. That's a pretty good reason to have hope. I would think if you saw a dead man rise from the dead, you would be hopeful. And that's a paradigm shift. Now nothing is impossible. And Jesus says something remarkable to them. He says, now I want you to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to come back later, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you, and you're going to do greater things than I ever did. And then we get to the end of the book. Fast forward to the book of Revelation, the, the Apostle John sees a vision, and he writes this vision. Just put in the message translation because it's, it's, it's just really neat the way he writes it. He says, I see heaven and earth new created. In other words, recreation, utopian vision, gone the first heaven, gone the first earth, gone the sea. I saw holy Jerusalem, in other words, where God dwells, a new created, descending, resplendent out of heaven and as ready for God as a bride for her husband. And I heard a voice thunder from the throne. Look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood, making his home with men and women. They're his people, and he's their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eye. Now, it's, it's a stereotype among Christians to think that uh, among Christians that in our culture that we're just going to be this, this we're just going to, um, our bodies are, we're going to go out of our bodies and just ride on the clouds and like singing carols all day with God, you know, in heaven forever. It's like a stereotype that we're like in heaven, we're just going to be these, these spirits floating around in the heavens singing carols. It sounds a lot, lot more like hell to me, but I love carols. We love caroling around here, but it does forever. I mean, come on, clouds are cool, but forever, come on. I mean, so this is like, that's the vision, but what, is, what happens here is that's not the end of the Christian story. It has a lot more to do with Plato, with Plato and Greek philosophy, not to do with Christianity. The end of the Christian story is this. God moves into the neighborhood. What will happen? He's going to wipe away every tear from every eye. Death is gone for good. Tears gone. Crying gone. Pain gone. All the first order of things gone. The enthroned, that's Jesus, will say, look, I'm making all things new. Write it down, each word dependable and accurate. And there's two words for new in the Greek uh, New Testament. There's one that's um, the word neos, which is to make something brand new. And then there's the Greek word kainos, which is to make something old, take something old and make it new and restore it again. And God's like, that's what I'm doing with your life. You're in the story. This is your worldview. This is the, everybody's worldview. But in, within Christianity, 
I'm making your life new again. I'm taking something that's old and broken and I want to restore it. I want to take out the golden glue of Jesus and the the good news of God and I want to put all those cracks back together again. And here's the good news. The greater the amount of cracks, the greater amount of restoration. The greater amount of brokenness, the greater the triumph. And so for you, if you're like, man, my life is just so broken, you wouldn't, wouldn't imagine how much, I don't know about you, but I sometimes feel like my life is just, you wake up some mornings, you feel so insecure, so fragile, and you feel like, man, I just, I just feel like, what is, I don't know if I can do this today. God says, I want to I come and I want to put all the pieces back. I want to take, I want to, the genealogy of Jesus is this grace that if your life has been messed up or if your, your life is just totally a wreck, I want to take it and make it new. And that's the beautiful thing. I, want to, I just want to close with these words um, by, uh, he, he, he died last year, Leonard Cohen. And I, I don't know why he wrote this, but I feel like you could sing this over the, the, the birth of Jesus. He says, ring the bells that can, still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There's a crack. A crack in everything, and that's how the light gets in. That's how the light gets in. And so for you, if that's you, if you're just aware of your own brokenness, my greatest longing today is that the light would enter into your darkness, that the light of God would enter into your darkness, that your cracks in your life are there so that God's light can get in and so that you can use your story to redeem, see God redeem others. And this is what I love about the Christmas story, that light gets into the cracks, and and, and God gets out this divine golden glue. And when you read the Christmas story, we worship a God who knows how to take our mess and make redemptive good come out of it. God's plans are bigger than your mess. And so maybe you're trapped in bondage. God's plans are bigger than your bondage. Maybe, not only that, not only your relational mistakes, your, your sexual mistakes, your financial mistakes. God, God's plan is bigger than the mess that has been dealt to you. For those who've been dealt a bad hand in life, the, the, the pain has been done to you or sin was done to you. God's plan is bigger than that. And it's greater than that. And God's plan is that your family pattern that you've received, he wants you to, he, I don't want you to continue the cycle of, of codependence. I don't want you to continue the cycle of unforgiveness. I don't want you to continue the cycle of just complete doubt and untrust in your relationships. I, I, it, is, it is my place, Jesus says, to bring you into my family, to bring you into the forward part of my lineage, just the way I brought those people into the back part of my lineage, by the grace and goodness of God. Amen? Amen. So this is this last slide. This is just this, let this picture just be a, a metaphor for your life. Hear Jesus say, behold, I will make all things new. With the divine master maker, get out his golden glue, cheesy as it sounds, and, and begin to take your cracks and to make them whole again this morning. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your beautiful gospel story that you, God, can restore, that you're the one who meets us in our mess. You're the one that meets us in our brokenness. Ring the bells. May we ring the bells this morning. May we sing shouts of joy this season because you take our cracks and you make them beautiful. You make everything glorious and we will say that it is true because a baby entered into our world, took on our flesh, grew up, lived the life that we couldn't live, died the death that we 
should have died. And yet he rose again victoriously. He loves you fearlessly. He forgives you endlessly. And that's the kind of life he wants to restore in you this morning. So if that's you, if you're like, I got cracks in my past, I got cracks in my story, I got, I'm, I, I've had a mess dealt to me this season. I've had sin done to me. God wants to restore you and make you whole. We want to pray over you. We want to love you. We want to see God move in your life so that your story can be used for redemption in the city and be told so that others know how good God is. God, would you move? Would you seal this message by your Holy Spirit? Would you do a work in us? We need you. We love you. We ask that you make us new today, little by little, as we wait and experience a foretaste of what's to come. And all God's people said, amen.